0: Good morning. It's good to be here. Oh, I love, uh, love the rain. Anyone else like rain? I mean, I don't like it every day, but it's kind of cool every so often. Thank you, my friend. Uh, happy to have you uh, work out this week, too. Uh, any, any other training you need, you just let me know. I can see why they have him carrying stuff around here. All right. So, Yeah, great morning. Uh, Been praying for Brad and Laura this week as they're uh, ministering in Guatemala. And uh, just as I say all the time when I come here, how much I love them, how much I love uh, the the ministry and the vision of Core Church. And you're in a great series right now called Inconvenient Sharing. And we're figuring out how to share the things of God, uh, the beauty of God, the beauty of Jesus in our world. And I get the uh, distinct... uh, Amazing opportunity this morning to talk about uh, the most powerful thing that I think we could share in our culture, in our families, and in our uh, world, and that is the love of God. There is something about the love of Jesus that is different from any other kind of love that you'll ever experience. And I was thinking about the, the culture, the nation, the, the, the place that we live right now in our, in our, our country. And I really believe that we are living among a people that have never felt less loved. I truly believe that. I'm not speaking specifically of your family because you may have a very loving home and and certainly there's love in our community here at Core Church. But I want you to think about the average American the average person living outside the world of the church, I truly believe as they encounter the culture, as they encounter the entertainment world, as they encounter the political world, the world of race, that we have a country, a people that has never felt less loved. And I believe that gives us as a church the most profound opportunity to share and to give away the love of Jesus. That it can be absolutely life altering for people. I posted something on Facebook eight years ago. (laughs) It was not good. In fact, I think we have a slide. I think it's my first slide. Do we have that? Yeah, there it Just give you a moment. <laughs> to the haters, <laughs> take a number. The line is long, but it moves quickly. I remember furiously composing this tweet or post. A long time, friend and former colleague in ministry had just posted a very hateful and derogatory comment about me online. And in the moment, it hurt. It spitefully targeted past failures in my life and failures that honestly I'd repented of. And I was still actually kind of crawling out of the repercussions of my own ashes. And that friend in ministry had never had a conversation with me of any kind. And honestly at the time I did not know how to handle that kind of hate. So I allowed these poisonous arrows of shame to go straight to my heart and I began to have imaginations of revenge. I found bitter feelings taking up precious space in my heart and there were all kinds of like justifications for hurt that were rolling through my soul. I thought, you know, this guy has no idea the price I've paid for my failure. And then I thought, I wonder what kind of sin he's covering up. All these kind of things. And I remember it was a year or two later after that. I was writing kind of the final draft of a book I was working on. The book was called Death by a Thousand Lies. It was kind of telling my story of coming out of addiction, experiencing incredible crash and failure because of my addiction and the journey and the road back. And I remember the Lord dropped these words into my soul. He said, Blaine, there will always be snipers at a resurrection parade. And this idea would become one of the closing chapters in the book. And the Lord led me over to the postscript of the story of Lazarus, and it was stunning. So John, in his gospel, pens these words about the resurrected Lazarus. Said that after the resurrection of Lazarus, said the large crowd of Jews discovered that he was there and had come to the scene. And they came not only because uh, because of Jesus, but to catch sight of Lazarus, the man whom he had raised from the dead. And the chief priests planned to kill Lazarus because he was the reason for many of the Jews going away and putting their faith in Jesus. I want us to catch that this morning. The religious crowd, the chief priests, planned to kill Lazarus. They wanted to re-kill him. God had raised him from the dead, and they wanted to put him back to death. Wow. Is there any worse hatred than that? that God stamps his very approval upon a man, raises, his, raises, his, raises him up from death, and then the crowd comes and says, no, we want to kill him again. Hatred is a powerful, it's a deadly impulse. It blindly, recklessly rages at anything that threatens the hater's ego, pride or sense of self-righteousness. And every one of us have experienced hate in this place this morning. Maybe you're a a church leader. Maybe you've been a pastor. Maybe you are a pastor. Maybe you're visiting here today. For those that have been in the world of pastoral ministry, people will criticize you for one sermon they don't like. They'll listen to hundreds, but the one they don't like, you will hear about it. Some will walk out the door and never return. After you've baptized their loved ones, performed weddings for their children, counseled them through their darkest moments, suddenly they're gone. Oh, it hurts. I've been there. Maybe you're a divorcee this morning. There will be people who will believe and repeat every fabricated story that your ex-spouse spews up with no regard for the truth of what actually happened. And some of you have felt that hurt and that hatred. Some of you are business owners. People will cancel your company in the blink of an eye. Post disparaging reviews online because you didn't smile at them the right way when they walked in. It is amazing how quickly our country will hate. Pew Research Center recently surveyed people in 17 different countries, Europe, Asia, North America, and the US. And they found of all of these 17 countries that the most divided country of all today is America. We have become a country that has fallen in love with hate. The apostle John identifies the accuser of the brethren in his apocalyptic revelation, Revelation 12, 9, And it's the devil. And he talks about how the enemy will come to bring accusations against our brothers and sisters. And you're going to feel those from time to time. There's going to be hatred in your world. And how do we handle that? How do we deal with hate? Because we could talk about love this morning. And we could say, well, man, let's just go love one another. And, you know, that's great. But love really doesn't show up until there's hatred in the mix. We don't really know if something's love until that love is truly challenged. And so as I was kind of processing this love and hatred issue eight years ago, the Lord came to my rescue with five things. I really didn't know you know, what they all were at the time, but I, as I kind of reflected, I wrote down five things that changed my view of hate and love. And the first thing that happened is I I read the greatest sermon ever, and uh, it's such a powerful sermon, and it's one of the shortest sermons ever, which is awesome. 17 minutes. I I, I read it several times, and I actually timed it as I read it. 17 minutes, 1,032 words, three chapters in the scripture, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And I remember reading this, and I've got to be honest, for years I avoided this sermon. I'd kind of skipped through it, and I'd kind of seen some of the passages, and I thought, man, this, this sermon really isn't for me. It's too hard. And when you think about this sermon, it's the very first time that God, through his son Jesus, spoke to humankind going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. I mean, he would spoken through... Commandments brought down from a mountain, through burning bushes, through donkeys, different ways, cloud by day, fire by night. There were different ways God communicated. But this was the first time, face to face, that we see Jesus speaking as God to us. And the, the, the real theme of the, the message as you go through the Sermon on the Mount is basically this, that love triumphs over the law. He entered into a Jewish culture that revered the law, that loved the law, that tried to keep the law, that killed people that broke the law. And Jesus brought this message that love triumphs over the law, not to abolish the law, not to take laws away or not to kind of wink at sin, but rather to show the power of how love could help us to actually fulfill the law of God. If there was a title for Jesus' message, I think he would have called it this. He would have called it the, you've heard it said sermon. Because he kept kind of referring to the law by, by, by this, this phrase, you've heard it said. And then he'd quote something from the law. But then he would add something to it. I remember reading when he said, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I tell you, if anyone is angry at a brother or sister, you'll be subject to judgment. And then he said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, resist not the evil person or the one who slaps you on the right cheek. He says, turn to the other one. He says, slap this one too. Wow. He said, you've heard it said, you know, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But he said, I want to tell you this. If someone sues you to take your tunic, give him your cloak as well. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go two miles. Then he says again, you've heard it said, you shall love your enemy and or love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I say, Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Wow, this is radical love. I mean, this is loving people who are out to get us. And, and he's really telling us, this is the love that will change the world. This is the kind of love <clears throat> that will change a culture, change a people, change a city. And the early church, friends, embraced this love. They actually began to buy into this idea that they could love their enemies. They actually began to buy into this idea that, man, yes, yes, I'm going to go the extra mile for somebody. And so here's this early church, you know, started with 120 on the day of Pentecost, and God fills them with the Spirit, and they go out and they begin to preach. And everyone in the world in that day looked at the early church, these, these radical Christians, as a cult. They thought they're weird, they're crazy. They believe in a guy that died and they say he rose from the dead, but you know, where is he now? No one can really find him. So they're weird, but you know what they did? They got a great marketing campaign. They bought all kinds of advertising. They got billboards, radio stations, TV channels. They got Facebook ads and they changed the world, right? You know what they did? They went into their world and they loved the world like a world had never been loved. Plagues would come into cities in that time in Rome and other parts of the world. And without any kind of medical attention or medical abilities that we have today, these plagues would come, and this is how they would respond. People in the cities would run for the hills, go to another place, escape the plague. That's how they would, they would social distance forever. They would leave and never come back. And you know what was common? The believers in Jesus would stay back and care for the sick, even at the risk of losing their own life. You know how they handled unwanted pregnancy unwanted babies in that day they would bring a baby to term they would take that child they would drop the child on a street in an alley leave it helplessly sitting there to die and christians believers would come along. They would listen for the cries of those babies. They would pick them up, bring them back into their family, and they would care for them and raise them. This was the Christian culture. It was a culture that had embraced this Sermon on the Mount and said, we are going to love well. And it took some time, friends. But I'm going to tell you something, that the, the Christian church went from 0.0001% of the known world when Jesus rose from the dead and it started. To 300 years later, the Roman emperor made a pronouncement and said, we are now a Christian nation. And he turned all of the temples into congregational meeting places for the church and he himself became a believer and Christianity had completely taken over the Roman Empire. I'm going to tell you something. That happened because of love. If we want to change our culture, if we want to see the power of Christ come into America, it will happen through love. It will happen as we begin to as Paul said, reach out to our neighbors as we begin to love people that don't always love us well. You know, the second thing that I began to see is that I didn't really understand this, but haters, people that hate, they need a scapegoat. And I saw that even in my own life. And when you understand that hatred is really trying to find a scapegoat, you can actually begin to develop empathy for somebody that hates. Because there's this truth uh, that that, that is just so real, that broken people who remain broken will try to break others. That hurt people will try to hurt others. And I truly believe what I'm about to say to you, that we hate something about ourselves before we hate others. That hatred is something that is coming from in We dislike ourselves or something about Us, we don't love or we don't like. And out of that hatred internally, we begin to hate others. And when we realize that people that are bringing hatred our way or hurt our way or something disparaging our way, that they're responding out of their own pain, their own hurt, it allows us to realize we have an opportunity to bring love into their pain and to see something change within them. That love can conquer hate. And maybe you struggle with this. Maybe you have trouble loving people. Maybe you you know find yourself doing hateful things or saying hateful things or not responding the way you feel like you should to a spouse or to a friend or to a neighbor or a coworker. I wonder if you've allowed Jesus to fully forgive you, to fully love you, for you to realize that you are completely forgiven. That when you come to this table in just a few minutes, as we'll all come to this table of communion, this this table with the blood and the body of Christ that we're recognizing, that it is a level table, friends. That there's, there's none of us that get to sit at the front of the table or the head of the table, that the only one at the head of this table is Jesus, and all of us are gathered around at the same level, that we are all forgiven, that we are all loved, that we've all been given grace, and that there's no good sin or bad sin or, you know, there's no levels of, of Christianity or no levels of believers that we are all forgiven and all completely loved by God. The beauty of the gospel is there is no earning, my friend. There is no earning. There's nothing you can do, nothing you can do to make God love you more. And you know what? There's no sin you can commit to make God love you any less. When that thief was on that cross and, and he... he Turned to Jesus on the cross and he said, you know, how can I, you know, have eternal life? How can I be with you in paradise? And Jesus just looked at him and said, my friend, my brother, today you will be with me in paradise. Right now you are forgiven. How many know there was no way for that thief to get down off the cross and do some good deeds or make, you know, make amends for all of his sins? That he was forgiven simply because of grace and goodness and love. This is the gospel that you are fully loved, that you are a beloved son, a beloved daughter of the Father. And out of that love, we can learn to love others. The third thing that Jesus challenged me, man, this has been hard. I am still at work on this. But he challenged me to live an unoffendable life. Oh my goodness. Living an unoffendable life is not easy. What does that mean to be unoffendable? It means that I began asking Jesus to give me the grace To stop allowing what other people think about me, what other people say about me, or what other people do to me to bring offense, indignation, or hatred in my heart. That somehow Jesus was going to give me grace to take the shots when they come. To just absorb the shots and let them go that the the best way i could describe it was like lord make me a a uh, a piece of soap that when the enemy tries to grab me and hold on to me that when hatred tries to grab me and hold on to me that i just keep slipping out of the hands of that hatred and that indignation that i could live a life that doesn't take the offense that doesn't hold on to the offense it doesn't mean that I'm a sucker for punishment, that I just keep going back to be re-offended again and again and again, or re-hurt again and again and again. If you're in an abusive relationship, I'm not saying to stay and to suffer in and through that abuse. I believe in boundaries. But at the same time, I believe that there is a measure of grace that God can give us where we can begin to live without all the offense, without all the stuff that just hangs onto our soul. I love what the writer of Proverbs said when he said, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. That God's love has this ability to cover everything and that if we can learn to operate in that love, that man, it'll just cover that we can still live into joy, we can still live into peace, we can still live into the goodness of God. Remember this, the more you hate about what a hater, or the more you care about what a hater says or does, the more power they'll have over you. That if you're holding on to all that hate, all that poison that's coming your way, it's got power over you. It'll begin to control you. It'll take up residence in your mind. It'll take up real estate in your heart. Don't give place to that. Let it go. Brent Hansen, he wrote a book called Unoffendable. I love this quote. It's, It's a challenging one, but it's good. He said, Quit trying to parent the whole world. Wow. Isn't that us? You know, When Facebook came out, I loved Facebook. I mean, when it came out, it was the greatest invention that anyone had ever come up with because we're all just sharing and meeting people and people we haven't heard from and old high school friends and we're able to keep up. Oh, you know, they got a new job or, you know, they had a son or, you know, just all all, all the beauty in the world was coming out in the first year or two of Facebook. And then it happened. It turned and it became everybody's, not everybody's, but a lot of people's pulpit. I'm going to tell you the way it is. I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to tell you how wrong you are and how right I am. And unfortunately, those parts of Facebook get the most talked about, and they get the most attention. So Brent, I think, put it well when he said, quit trying to parent the whole world. Quit offering advice when exactly zero people ask for it. Quit being shocked when people don't share your morality. Quit serving as judge and jury in your own mind of that person who cut you off in traffic. Quit thinking you need to discern what others' motives are. And quit rehearsing in your mind what that other person did to you. Good advice. Here's number four. Judge thyself. One of the greatest reasons I love to pray the Lord's Prayer each day is found in this one particular line. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I pray that prayer every day. And I always come to that part and I'm like, okay, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And the implication there is that I have probably sinned today. Jesus wrote this prayer. Jesus shared this prayer. Jesus told us to pray this prayer. And what he was saying was, before we start thinking about the trespasses of others, let's go to forgiveness in our own life. Where have I crossed boundaries? Where have I crossed a line? Lord, forgive me. Humbly forgive me. When we recognize our own sin and our own brokenness and our own failures, it becomes so much easier to forgive others. I love the amplified translation of Paul's admonition. To the Galatians in chapter six, he says, but each one of us must carefully scrutinize his own work, examining his actions, his attitudes and behavior, and then we can have the personal satisfaction and the inner joy of doing something commendable without comparing himself to another. That we, we must become scrutinizers of our own life, our own work. And finally, number five. I know you get afraid of five-point sermons, but this one went pretty quick, come on. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Oh, I love this. Be both quick and slow. Be both quick and slow. Look what James said. James chapter one, verse 19. He said, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Hmm, quick to hear. You ever met someone quick to hear? No, I see, head shaking. Quick to hear. Have you ever called somebody that? Hey man, you are so quick at hearing (sighs) You're one of the quickest hearers I've ever seen. You're a quick listener. Listening doesn't come easy, does it? We like to talk. I do. I got things to say. I got answers. I got opinions. And I'm ready to tell you what they are. Right? We're like that, right? We're just like, If you ever found yourself somebody talking and you're just like, I'm just, yeah, i am going to jump in and tell you what I think, you know, like it is, we're, we're, we're not quick to listen. We're not quick to listen. I wonder what would happen if we all got quick to listen. If we began to listen, if we gave time for people to share their soul, their heart, if we really paid attention to our friends, our co-workers, our family members, our husband, our wife. You know what I think? I think marriages would last so much longer and marriages would be so much happier if we just got quick to listen. If we didn't interrupt, if we gave it some time and we gave it a moment said, I'm gonna hear you out. Really being quick to listen is drawing on the beautiful human component or characteristic called empathy. See, empathy says, I'm gonna sit in your pain. I'm gonna sit in your emotion. I'm gonna sit in what you're bringing to the table and not be so quick to tell you what I need to bring to the table. Quick to listen, slow to speak. You know, I wonder what would happen if we actually just listened and just took it all in and then we didn't say a word. Or maybe all we said was, honey, I get it. I'm just gonna let that sit. Or friend, I can't add anything to that. I'm just gonna pray for you. Or I'm just gonna help you. Wonder what would happen if we were just slower to speak And I know what would happen if we got really slow towards anger. We just kind of let the rage go down. We stopped the responding. We will be tested this week, friends, when Jesus gives us a word or a message. The test will come And the test is really an opportunity to grow this week you will have a chance to grow in the love of god to grow in developing an unoffendable spirit and soul to grow in loving somebody that doesn't love you and it will be hard it will challenge you to your very core but jesus will be calling out his love in you to help to change the world two weeks ago, I mean, I knew this message was coming, but I hadn't done a lot of preparation or work on it. I'd been thinking about it. And I got an email from a, a friend that had been on one of my staff teams at one point in a church. And he he gets a, a weekly email that I send out. And, uh, He responded to that email and man, he blistered me. He questioned like motives and things that he knew nothing about. He made accusations that weren't true. I mean, when I showed it to Lori, she just said, how, where did he come up with any of this? And I said, I I really don't know. But it's funny how things hurt more when it comes from somebody you really care about, right? Like, if it's just Joe Blow, it doesn't really affect us as much, but when it's somebody you really do have an affinity with, somebody that you've invested in, somebody that's is, is a person you care for, it hurts deeply. And so I thought, you know, I could defend myself. I certainly have a defense, but I'm just not gonna do it. I'm, I'm gonna be slow to speak and quick to listen. So I'm just gonna let this sit. And I didn't respond and that is not like me because man, when emails come in like that, nine times out of 10, I hit reply and I'm ready to go. Let's get it on. I just let it sit. And I let it sit long enough where I almost forgot about it. (laughs) But I didn't forget about it because email number two came in the next day a second email more blistering now i haven't seen this guy in about five or six years haven't had really any contact with him and this time he stirred it up i mean this time i've hit reply i've ready to type and the lord says shut it down closed out The email you know where it says delete draft delete draft yes i don't i don't want it and i didn't send anything and i let it sit i thought okay lord i'm just not going to deal with this i'm just going to let it go third day a third email even more blistering and i'm like okay lord i'm not letting this go three times like there's no way I've never gone this far without an appropriate response. Even you turn tables over, money changers. Come on, Lord. It's time for some table turning here. And the Lord said, let it go. And when, when he said that, here's what I discerned in my heart. He is going through pain that you know nothing your response will only increase that pain because you will be right these accusations he's made are not true they're not your heart and he'll know you're right but it'll only bring more pain and shame in his life and that's why I told you not to send it so let it go and pray for him and so I did I prayed not long I I didn't have a long prayer in me but I did pray a prayer for him and a day went by and another day went by and another day went by and I thought well finally it's over and then a week goes by and I get a fourth email and he goes into this long explanation of his addiction his recent divorce going to rehab I mean you could just feel the pain and he humbly just said Blaine pray for me I'm so sorry for responding the way I did I just was so angry at you because I saw how you've come out of your addiction and I was living in my own and I just wanted to find any way to discredit what God had done in your life because of the pain I was feeling in my own and he said I would love 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 for you to pray for me as i go to rehab and uh right after that i sent him a long email back and uh, put a lot of prayer and thought into it and and of course he responded back but then his brother who i'm friends with sent me a text and said blaine i can't tell you how much i appreciate the way you responded to kim it has totally changed his soul and his outlook on Christians friends we don't realize what love can do love can heal a world around us love can set others on a fresh new course in our home in our church in our neighborhood in our workplace and even on Facebook maybe there's some love that we can put out into the world this week. In fact, not just maybe, there is. So let's do this. Stand to your feet if you would. We're gonna, just a few minutes, we're gonna come and encounter the greatest love that we could ever encounter, a body and blood that was shed for us and that died for us in Christ. Let's prepare our heart for that because in coming, we're gonna receive love. We're gonna acknowledge the love of Jesus we're going to acknowledge that we can't give something we don't possess and that as saints as brothers and sisters coming to this table that we're coming to receive forgiveness we're coming to receive grace we're coming to receive the love of the father so that we can truly give it away and if you're here this morning and you've never encountered god's love maybe you're not sure if Jesus is Lord of your life. I want His heads are bowed just for a moment, I wanna just pray for you. Father, for those that are here today and aren't sure about where they stand with you, I pray God as they reach out to you in this moment that you would come and that you would make yourself real to them. That as they whisper a prayer and come to this table, that they would fully acknowledge you and fully receive all that you wanna be in their life. That Jesus, you would be Lord. And I pray, God, as we encounter this week, that you would show us where love can be given, where love can be showed, that, Lord, you'd help us to turn from a culture of hate and to embrace the love of Christ and to dare to give it away to a world that is searching to be loved. We pray this all in Jesus' name.